Hello, this is Hilary Robertson. Welcome to episode 34 of Harmonious World. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by violinist Hilary Hahn, whose latest album, Paris, is a celebration of music performed and created around Paris. The album pays homage to the rich cultural heritage of a city that Hahn loves. The album is out on 5th of March 2021 on Deutsche Grammophon. Paris features poem Opus 25 for Violin and Orchestra by Chausson, Prokofiev's Concerto for Violin and Orchestra, number one in D major, and Rotovara's Der Serenades. It was Miko Frank who completed the orchestration of the violin serenades after Rotovara passed away in 2016. At that point, a near complete manuscript was found and the album now features the first recording of it. So I had a brief slot to discuss Paris with Hilary Hahn and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Tell me about Paris. It's an amazing album. Obviously shows you off at your virtuosic best. So so tell me when it was recorded. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by the story of how the... Is it Rotovara? Sure. Well, so the, the album Paris grew out of an artist residency I did in Paris with Radio France in the 2018-19 concert season. The residency included... Uh, many concerts with Orchestre Philharmonique de Radio France. And I did a solo recital and I did a couple things in the community. And so it was really returning to Paris multiple times in the course of the season, I think about four times. We also toured Europe with the orchestra. And the first thing we did was, um, I think we did a summer festival and it sounded so fantastic what the orchestra and Nico were doing together. I'd known them for a long time separately and then they started working together when Nico became music director there. And then I'd worked with him already before as music director there. When he was developing that relationship, I saw that develop. And when the residency started, I could just tell that um, there was some magic happening between all of us when we would interpret music together when we performed together. I actually worked with the Philharmonique pretty much exclusively as far as Parisian orchestras go from when I was a teenager. It was just a repeated invite cycle and then the Parisian exclusivities from orchestra to orchestra, it just resulted in that. And I loved, I loved working with them. So I just kept returning. And therefore I've, I've worked with them at least every other year for a couple decades. And the experience with that one festival performance really made me think that since we had the Rautavara coming up as a world premiere, we should see what we can do to put an album together because that was the thing that was not currently included <laughs> with the residency. We were doing everything else. And I felt that the Rautavara was so significant that we needed to memorialize it on as big a scale as possible. And then when I talked to Miko about it, I called him up from my basement, <laughs> that's where my desk is. And I said, uh, I have this thought, you know, what do you think? And he, he said, I was thinking the same thing. So then we talked through the season schedule, found a way to make Prokofiev and Chosson happen because those for us were dream pieces to do together and with the orchestra and to record. 
it was really a situation where we loved those pieces and had been kind of waiting for the right moment. And I, in particular, had wanted to record the Prokofiev for a long time. I always associated Prokofiev as a composer with Paris, especially that concerto, which was premiered in Paris. I think it epitomizes that cultural exchange that he lived through and straddling the different artistic traditions at that time. Chausson was a piece that I always wanted to play with an orchestra who spoke it fluently, so to speak. And this orchestra really expresses music without dancing around the truth of it. They get into it. They have such a color range. Each player has their own character in the orchestra. And together with Miko's sense of architecture within the music, they really can do everything. They offer everything. So working with them, I just imagined how a wonderful show song would be to play together. And voila, <laughs> there was a spot on a program to put the show song there. And it just felt like this recording was meant to be. Right. And um, the Chausson's not terribly well known, is it? Not as well known as the Prokofiev. Certainly in the UK. I mean, maybe in France it is better known. Chausson had a shorter career than most. Um, he actually didn't start his career as a musician. He came from a wealthy family. He studied other things. He studied pretty much everything. He had a very well-rounded education. And as a member of a wealthy family, he actually hosted a lot of artistic salons and um, brought a lot of artists together. So he was passionate about music. He wound up turning his attention to music and composing. When he finally hit his stride in his career, it was with the poem in its Parisian debut. And a few years later, he died in um, a cycling crash on one of his family's estates. And so you really get the feeling with this piece that this is a person who was stepping into his own voice. He was finding who he was in the artistic landscape and the public was finally seeing it. So the poem was a success in the public's eyes as well. It was written for Isaiah, who's a leading violinist, of course, the legend yes, <laughs> the Belgian. Yes. And he, I think Chausson had a lot left to write, but we just don't know what that is because it never got written. No. And I think the poem is a piece that's not programmed so often because of programming logistics. It's just a practical thing. Um, having to do with the length of the piece, the character of the piece being so powerful. It is really a standalone piece. What do you put before and after the poem? You know, right. do you just go and have a, have a coffee at intermission right after you go through that? Like, what do you do with that moment? And I think from a programming perspective, that's an interesting dilemma that there is no patterned solution for. So there's not really a pattern of programming the show song, but the people who play it and the people who love it just um, love it, like yeah. really love it. Like I love playing that piece. It is such a deep dive. And one thing I love about it so much is that I get to play the smallest aspects of the piece. 
as a soloist, you don't often get to play the small moments. You are um, the person who is sort of riding the wave, so to speak. And Chausson allows me to take it down as small as I can take it with a single stringed instrument, which is really small. And then he harnesses the whole power of the orchestra once I've maxed out. I hand it over to the orchestra and they take it from there. So he really takes the whole emotional range of playing an instrument and he magnifies it for me, for everyone else in the ensemble. Right. It, it's a stunning piece. Uh, and, and your performance of it is lovely. And that the orchestra does such a great job of embracing it. And, and as you say, it does feel as if they've, you know, they've got under the skin of it. There's a thing I think that people don't always remember about French music, which is that in the French culture, language is a form of communicating thoughts and ideas and philosophies and discussion and, and conversation is a core element of the culture, just in the day to day. And a lot of the cadence of French language shows up in the music. So when you have French musicians playing the music, they are speaking the music as a form of communication. Sometimes when people try to play in a French style and they're not French um, musicians like from birth, <laughs> yes. um, or they haven't spent a lot of time in France and gotten that in their system. I think sometimes it can be like you're trying to play French. You're trying to kind of put on a persona. Whereas when I work with the French orchestras, when they play French music, they simply play it. I think other people can do that too. <laughs> but I think there's a preconception around a lot of interpretations of French music that you need to act a certain way, have a certain style. And really when at least this orchestra plays, they, they simply play, they, they express, they play, they have all these colors, they have very direct phrasing and it makes the music speak so much clearer. It doesn't have to be fussy and it's really a, an honest way of emoting. Yeah. So tell me the story. I, I've, I've read a little bit about it of the Ratavara coming about because he died before it was completed. So how did, how did it end up then being able to be recorded? It's like a, it's like a relay. Actually, the story is like a relay. One idea gets relayed to another person and gets relayed to another person. When I worked with Miko Frank on Raul Tavara's violin concerto, I had already commissioned Raul Tavara and premiered his work Whispering for my 27 Encores project. Then Miko, who, Miko Frank, the conductor, who's very, he was very, very close with Raul Tavara. I would go as far as to say they were um, platonic soulmates. They've really, really um, connected and they connected through Raul Tavara's music initially, and then they became very close friends. Miko knew Raul Tavara's style so much, and I loved the violin concerto that when Miko asked me to play it, I learned it for that concert with him and with Radio France, with um, the Philharmonique. And when we were rehearsing it, I thought this, this moment is so big like to get to work on a piece with the conductor who knows the composer and has done all of the composer's works is 
so important. And I wonder if Rob Devara would write another violin concerto because he's a genius at, well, all the instruments, but violin, he's really, really great at writing for violin. So I asked Miko, do you think he would write another violin concerto for us for the next time I come back to the orchestra when we're working together in a couple of years? And Miko said, well, Anyahani is, is very ill right now, but um, if I'll see him in a couple of months and if he's feeling better, I will bring it up. And I continued to hear that that the composer was not in good health and I never heard back about a conversation. So I just assumed that that wasn't something that was meant to be. When Miko talked to me next about the piece, he told me that in fact, he it was after the funerals, after Raul Tavares' funeral. And he had been taken to Raul Tavares' studio by um, the composer's widow and shown a score that was almost completed and completely sketched out. And I said, oh, what, what was that piece? And Miko said, well, you know, when we talked about Raul Tavara doing another violin concerto, I actually did talk to him about it. I was like, really? <laughs> he said, yes, I, I talked to him about it. And he said that there was an idea he had for serenades for soloist and orchestra that he didn't want to write another violin concerto, but he was interested in this idea of serenades and that he was interested in writing this piece. And then Miko had gone and tried to, you know, get the logistics ball rolling for a commission. And um, before that had been completed, the composer died. And so Miko said the piece that he saw in the studio following Raul Tavares' funeral was two serenades. It was titled in French and Finnish, which was very unusual. It's usually um, in Raul Tavares' work, it was English and Finnish titles. And it was for solo violin and orchestra. And it was just clear that it was the piece. So mm. I was overwhelmed with this knowledge. I mean, I'd never been part of such a big thing in history. I've commissioned works, but it's not, it wasn't the case that they were the premieres of a composer's final work in their catalog. And that's, that is the completion of the catalog. And then at that moment, the composer's legacy is complete and is out in the world to um, to be performed further. Right. And Miko Frank finished the orchestration, is that right? Miko commissioned Kalevi Aho to finish the orchestration oh. based on the sketches. And Kalevi is a great Finnish composer in his own right. He studied with Raul Tavara and was very close with Raul Tavara. Wow. So it's properly, I mean, it's a complete, it's a real team effort to get yes, this absolutely. piece finished. It's amazing. That's wow. why it's like a relay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it was really great to perform with Miko, perform the two serenades with Miko because he knew where every note came from. He knew this melody references this opera aria between these two sisters and um, you know, here's how this word would be pronounced, the accent would be here, and, you know, the, the rhythm is like this because of this, and the expression from the orchestra should be this way, and the violin's role is this, and he hadn't even spoken, he hadn't known the piece existed, but he could read the scores if he was inside the composer's head, and he could communicate it to the musicians in the moment, in the performance, so it was almost like performing with the composer but the composer so the composer was present in this sort of intergenerational legacy that we have in concert music in the classical tradition um, 
where knowledge is just passed on from one person to another. Wow. It is amazing, isn't it? And it's an incredible story. Um, right. I'm very conscious that I was supposed to only have 15 minutes with you. And I think that's, I think we've done it. I think so, I need to hop. Yeah, I think you've got to go on another one. So I don't want to hold you up. But thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm really glad to have the chance to talk with you. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Hilary. <laughs> bye. I don't always get a huge amount of time to talk to my guests, but I'm always really grateful to them for the time that they do spare me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Harmonious World. I have lots of interesting guests lined up for the next few episodes. Meanwhile, I'd love to know what you think, so please leave me a review or find me on social media. I'm Hilary Robertson, and it's been a pleasure to bring you this latest episode of Harmonious World. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week. And please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World. <laughs>